Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini, and at the time we're recording this, it's spring here in West Michigan, and of course I've come down with my typical spring cold, so I apologize for the quality of my voice during this. One of the most difficult situations that a parent of a special needs child will face, or any parent of any child for that matter, is the problem of bullying. What can you do if your child is being bullied? What can you do if you realize that your child is the one who is doing the bullying? How far does bullying affect a child, and what kind of impact does this have on a child's mental health? Well, in this episode, we're going to talk to an expert in the subject of bullying. Christy Buck is the Executive Director of the Mental Health Foundation of West Michigan. They have a new program that offers a solution. It's called the Be Nice Campaign, and it's designed to help kids, families, schools, and communities work to understand and end bullying. We also learn about mental illnesses, how to recognize when problems escalate to thoughts of suicide, and what to do in these situations. Also, how to overcome the stigmas associated with mental illness. But we started off when I asked Christy to explain the events that led up to the creation of the Be Nice campaign. Well, the Be Nice campaign was created following the death by suicide of a young man who went to Rutgers University. His name was Tyler Clemente. And at that time, um, I think that there was always discussion surrounding bullying, but the story of his death made national news, and that was in association with his roommate at Rutgers who took the liberty to post photographs surrounding Tyler's lifestyle, which he was gay and had not come out to family members. Um, His roommate didn't know that Tyler struggled with a mental health disorder, such as anxiety and depression, and Tyler took his life. So at that time, the Mental Health Foundation was doing a lot of programming throughout West Michigan, and we received tons of emails and phone calls surrounding the topic of bullying. So we decided to create some type of a movement, and that started with a logo. So it was the Be Nice period logo, and from there, schools were reaching out to us and asking us if we had programming that went with the logo, and so we created this whole movement. And so with that came an acronym, which we're talking about now, which is the Notice, Invite, Challenge, and Empower. Right, right. And let's talk about that then. So can you tell us about each one of those uh, steps, Notice, Invite, Challenge, and Empower, and how someone uh, go about implementing them? Of course. So the idea behind it is that you can take this, be nice, and then take that word, N-I-C-E, and put it into play. You can change, improve, and save lives. So the N is to notice what is right and what is good. Those are the first two steps. And it truly is. If you can believe that by noticing what is right and what is good around people, then I am able, I have the ability to notice what might be different. And that's where it gets a little bit more um, serious with the Be Nice model is, is that noticing changes in someone's behavior for two weeks or longer could be the onset of a mental health disorder. So then we go to the I, and then, of course, with that N, it would be noticing signs of depression, you know, and those are um, things such as sadness, withdrawing from normal activities, difficulty concentrating, fatigue, um, irritability, restlessness, overeating, loss of appetite, persistent sadness, okay? So when this is going on for two weeks or longer, it could be the onset of something bigger. The I is to invite, so it can be as simple as invite myself to 
start a conversation, invite myself to reach out, invite myself to be inclusive. But then it gets more serious with invite myself to start a conversation that I am concerned about someone's behavior. And so with this model, when we're teaching it and instructing and on our website, it tells you how would I start that conversation. So then the C is to challenge. And number one thing that usually is the obstacle getting in the way of people ever getting help or talking about mental illnesses is stigma. So that is to challenge the stigma. Challenge somebody who might not want to seek help. Challenge the stigma that other people have surrounding people. Okay, and that goes back to just that simple implementation to be nice. Challenge myself to get out of my comfort zone to actually ask more questions to someone if I'm concerned. Challenge myself to get educated. Challenge myself to support people and provide hope. And then the E, I love the E, because if you take and go through the notice, invite, challenge, you are empowering yourself to help someone, and then ultimately that empowerment gets bounced back to that person for them to know that I'm here to help. So empowerment is the key because when people are struggling with mental health disorders, a lot of times we just want want to help fix it. And the only way we can do that is really by empowering that person. I'll be there for you. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to help you find resources. But that person wants to needs to be empowered. Right, right. And I think that's a that's a really important thing to know because um to me, a lot of the issues uh, with depression and suicide is that you get the idea that there was just a huge sense of isolation on the part of the person, and uh, yeah. they had no idea what was going on. Many times. And, you know, a lot of times when someone is suicidal, the thoughts are of hopelessness, worthlessness, guilt, shame. Okay, and ultimately, if I can be pointing these um, and recognizing this and talking to someone and giving them, empowering them with tools that I know are available. And some of those can be as simple as helplines. Seriously. There are suicide prevention hotlines that if we are armed and ready to give people those tools, this is a phone number you can call. This is a place you can get help. Who are the people in your life that have helped before? A lot of times those are those things that a person who might be struggling with suicide can't even recognize it. Right. Um, now, a lot of people in communities in both America and around the world view bullying as just, you know, kids being kids. There are some who even say that bullying is something that children should learn how to endure to get along in life, like it's a good thing or something like that. But what does research tell us about the harm of bullying? Well, research is telling us that ultimately um, kids who are bullied, okay, picked on, treated disrespectfully, are more likely than other, other kids to be depressed, lonely, anxious, have low self-esteem, feel unwell, and believe it or not, think about suicide. Um, A victim of bullying is twice as likely to take his or her own life compared to someone who is not. So this is how serious this is. And things have changed from back when many of us who are parents were kids. There are so many more ways to bully someone. So it's not just by physical fighting that somebody might be bullying. It can be this sneakiness of social and relational. So that is gossiping. That is spreading rumors. um, That is going on to the internet 
through social media and taking photographs and sending those around and spreading rumors. So it's much more serious, and that's why it's so important for parents to get educated. Yep. Now, some parents also try to excuse bullying by saying that their child is just teasing and it's just a joke. Or one of the the one line that many of us has heard is, well, they don't mean anything by it. Now, how can a parent of a child that is being bullied counter that attitude? Well, it's it's also, it's correcting people that how we treat people, and I love this, is um, taking the word bullying away and really let's talk about the action. So let's talk about how somebody is being treated is having an effect on how they're thinking, acting, and feeling. Okay, and that is your mental health. And how, what was the behavior like? pointing it out. Rude behavior is just basically inadvertently saying or doing something that hurts someone's feelings, okay? Then you've got somebody who's mean. So they're purposefully saying or doing something that can hurt someone once, maybe twice. But then bullying is that all-out intentional, aggressive behavior that's repeated over time. It also would involve an imbalance of power. So we want to make sure that we're at that rude and mean point where we are pointing out to kids that what they're doing is rude and mean, and this could turn into a place or a situation where that child is going to then intentionally pick on someone. So let's get to that point where we are pointing out the behavior at the beginning as opposed to when that gets continuous and has an effect on someone's mental health, how they're thinking, acting, and feeling. Right. That's uh, that's great. You know, because it is really more about attitude than anything else when it comes to uh, trying to deal with the issues that are going on. Right. And, you know, and I really truly believe that kids need consistent messages. And I just lo- like the line of how you are treating this child is having an effect on how they're thinking, acting, and feeling. Are you seeing this? And helping kids identify. And you know what? Before you know it, get this. You're talking about mental health at a really super young age. Mm-hmm. You're not talking about illness. You're not talking about suicide. You're talking about your mental health. It's pretty amazing, and that is one thing that doesn't happen often enough. Right. Right. That is great. Now, there are a lot of myths about children and teenagers with mental health issues uh, and you have some great stuff on your website about those myths. There's eight of them that you have listed. And if you like, or if you don't mind, I would like to read the myths off. And then if you could uh, talk more about the facts behind those myths. Definitely. Okay, great. So myth number one, troubled children just need more discipline. Okay, so what we know right now is, is that kids that make up the juvenile justice system, I mean, we're talking, it's estimated that there's approximately 50 to 75 percent of kids that encounter the juvenile justice system meet the criteria for a mental health disorder. Okay, so what that's telling me is kids that are getting in trouble, okay, might actually be struggling more with a mental health disorder that is causing them to have behaviors that might get them into trouble. Okay, so anger is a huge way that kids are showing that they might be struggling. And we're finding this through research, you know what I mean? Yeah, you look back in the 80s and the 70s, and, oh, yeah, there were fistfights, whatever. But now what they're doing is really looking at childhood experiences to get to the core of why these people, okay, now we're in our 40s and 50s, 
may have ended up in the incarcerated. Okay, so they're looking back going, wow, they were troubled youth way back then. So we need to take all of this really serious, and we need to take it really serious when kids are getting into trouble, when they're taking risks, when they're getting expelled from school, when they're getting caught in the bathroom um, doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Let's take it seriously, and let's really cut to the core right then and talk about what it could be, and that could be a mental health disorder. Right. Right. Now, myth number two, uh, teenagers don't suffer from real mental illnesses. They're just moody. Okay. Well, the fact of that, the truth is, is that approximately one in five teens has some type of mental health problem in a given year. Serious emotional disturbances can affect one in ten. So what we want to do is take it seriously, okay? So at that one in five, I want to begin to recognize the onset of when my child or my niece, nephew, whomever, is struggling. And those are through looking at noticing changes in someone's behavior. I know what is right and what is good, and all of a sudden something is different in how my teen is acting or how they're feeling or how they are thinking. So at that one in five, what can I do? doesn't mean you have to take them to get a psychiatric evaluation right away, but it's starting to have a conversation to let them know what I am noticing. It might mean starting a conversation with the counselor at school. And from there, it might mean that I want to enter into maybe my child needs to be talking to someone as a clinician. Maybe my child then maybe needs medication. Okay, then myth number three, people who abuse drugs aren't sick, they're just weak. Okay, well, and those, those words are certainly stigmatizing, okay? So people who abuse drugs, there is known fact that this is an illness. Substance use disorder is extremely serious, and there's approximately over 66% of young people with substance use disorder, but it goes along with having co-occurring mental health problems, okay? So when you combine the two, it's really difficult to get kids into treatment at that point. Um, Age is absolutely huge, too. Uh, Trying to, when kids are just starting to abuse substances, and this includes alcohol, let's talk about it earlier, okay, and help them to understand this, that this can become a big problem as an adult before they turn 17, 18 years old when parents have a super difficult time making headway to get them help. Right. You know, right now, alcohol, it is a gateway. It's a gateway drug into many other things. And if they're experimenting with alcohol and drugs at, you know, age 14, there's high likelihood that they will become a substance, have substance use disorder as an adult. Right. Okay, myth number four then, eating disorders only affect celebrities and models. Okay, well, we know that sometimes it starts with um, how the media portrays what you should look like, you know. Um, approximately 3 to 5% of teenage girls have diagnosable eating disorders. These come in many ways. You know, anorexia, of course, bulimia are two, but there are many more. Um, it holds the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. So we need to know that eating disorders are not only a mental health disorder, but also very serious physical illness. So boys also can have eating disorders, and so parents need to 
um, understand that it's just um, it's not just a girl's illness. Okay, myth number five, and this one I've heard a lot myself. Children are much too young to get depressed. There must be something else going on. Well, we know that depression is an illness, and many times there are things in our lives that can bring about the illness, so there can be certain situations that happen in someone's life that could bring this about, and these could be um, stressful life events. It could be, um, this would be including divorce of parents, death of loved ones in their lives. Um, there is, it is associated biologically with the chemistry in your brain. And so just like any other illness, if I can have any illness, cold, flu, I can also have depression. Okay. So there are ways that we can help kids not get so seriously ill. And that would be talking about feelings making sure that my child knows that they can tell me how they are feeling in their head. And when I'm asking, how are you feeling today? Maybe I can even look more at um, what's going on, listening to our kids. So it is, um, it is definitely an illness that affects all ages, including, and we're not just talking about kids, we're talking sometimes in the elderly, somebody with a first onset of depression could be, 80, 85 years old. And that again, now look at their lives. What's stressful to an 80, 85 year old? Um, changes in their health, changes in their living situation, death of a spouse, um, not being near relatives, um, having an illness that is associated with pain, being on medicines that a side effect could be depression. So depression can hit anyone. Right. Okay, so on to myth number six. We're good people. Mental illness doesn't happen in our family. Okay, so again, if we're looking at those stats of one in five kids, right, will we'll experience a mental health disorder in a given year, then the stat for family is, families is approximately one in four families are affected. And, you know, mental health disorders come in um, various uh, degrees. So you have mild, moderate, and severe and so at that mild stage, believe it or not, anxiety disorder is one of the most common mental health disorders. And we need to take it serious because when anxiety disorder gets really super serious, okay, that can bring around symptoms where a child might not want to go to school. Somebody might not feel comfortable in groups. They want to socially isolate themselves, which could bring about depression. So um, we need to take it seriously, and it can happen to anyone, okay? Genetically, someone has um, uh, someone in their family who has struggled with a mental health disorder, um, they are at risk. And so one thing is we have to have families looking at their own family histories and seeing that possibly my child could struggle at some point in their life. Yeah, definitely. Now, I know this isn't part of the myth, but I'm just uh, struck by the anxiety disorder, and I was wondering, is, it, is there an effect by the amount of pressure that some students are under to perform in school and academically that uh, can lead to some of that as well? Most definitely, for sure. But that's why we have to empower our kids, the E, right, identifying protective factors in their life, identifying things that are there for them always to be able to talk to or to be able to do for themselves, okay? Um, a big thing about mental health disorders is, is having self-awareness. 
So understanding in yourself what situations bring about anxiety, what situations bring about for me to feel uncomfortable, for me to not want to be somewhere, okay? And so introduction to these things slowly. So if I have a child that does not like to speak in front of crowds, okay, that is just something that would be so fearful of them and embarrassing for them. Who knows why, okay? It could be something that happened before. But I'm not going to force them and say, well, you're going to need to give it a try at some point in your life anyway. Let's slowly do it. Let's introduce them. What makes you comfortable? Well, would it make you comfortable to talk in front of three of us, four of us? Okay, so recognizing that for some people that is enough to cause anxiety. Right. And not dismissing it. Same with camp and homesickness, okay? So um, kids who are going to summer camp, right? Maybe it takes a couple days to get acclimated to summer camp, all right? But all of a sudden, the next summer, they're not the same. They don't want to go at all the camp, but they're going to go anyway. I'm going to send them, all right? And suddenly, maybe something has changed in their life that bring, is bringing more anxiety if they don't want to go to camp. Find out what the root is going on. Okay, so me, I'll give a life situation for myself personally. When I was a kid, I liked summer camp. But when I was going to summer camp in sixth grade, I was beside myself. I was traumatized. I didn't want to leave. Every day, I mean, I was, it was terrible. The worst experience, I'll never forget it. But what was going on at my home that time was my dad was dying. My dad was in the hospital. Mm. My fear, I mean, now I look back and I'm like, I probably shouldn't have been at camp for those two weeks because that even started more homesickness for me caused me anxiety that bad things are going to happen while I'm away. You kind of, does it make a little sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we can't poo-poo anxiety disorder, but what we can do is help kids and find solutions with them. Okay? Right. Let's not set them up for these things. Let's help them to work out solutions for themselves. Yeah, because often when you're trying to help them overcome things, you're setting them up for a little disaster. I know. You know, we want the best for our kids. We do. But sometimes, you know what, it might need a little bit extra guidance. And ultimately, seriously, what we want is self-awareness, where kids can understand situations that I don't feel comfortable in, okay, recognizing that, recognizing in, in themselves when I have an onset, again, of maybe anxiety or a panic attack coming or maybe where I might be struggling with depression. Right. Where, what do I have in my life? that I've already set up for myself, these are called protective factors, okay, that I can go back and use these tools that have helped me through these periods in my life before. Right. Right. Okay. So on to myth number seven, childhood mental health problems are the result of poor parenting. Um, well, again, what we know that if someone in your family has a mental illness, then you have a greater chance of developing the illness, Okay. But generally, mental illness has little or nothing to do with parenting, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, there are certain things, though, that can be going on in homes and in situations that these children are in that might bring about anxiety, depression, okay? So if you have a genetic makeup, yep, you could be at risk. If kids are surrounded by ongoing stress in the environment that they live in, that could bring about a mental health disorder, okay? Um, we can't always be in the straight and narrow. Yep, sometimes there is going to be a divorce. But um, a lot of it is 
not including our kids in all of the mess that goes along with these situations. Um, kids that come from amicable, divorce, amicable divorces are much more likely to not see that as a stressful event in their life the rest of their lives. Okay? They might still have the hope and dream that their parents would get back together and all of that. But again, understanding that these type of events happening can bring about a change in someone's thinking, acting, and feeling. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last one, and this is another one that I've heard a lot of, of course, when someone's talking about suicide, it's just an idle threat and doesn't need to be taken seriously. But, you know, the theory that, uh, you know, if they're talking about it, then they're not going to do it. They just want attention. Okay. So anytime, and this is a, a big myth, okay, suicide is the third leading cause of death. I mean, the second leading cause of death amongst high school students and the second leading cause of death amongst, about, amongst college students. Mm. And the tenth leading cause of death amongst adults. So anytime someone might be talking about wanting to take their life, um, my life is not worth living, I'm a pain to people, I might as well be dead, all those type of comments need to be taken seriously. Right. So people do, and, you know, my thing is, if someone is looking for attention, give them attention and give them attention to where they can go get help. Okay? Right. So pay attention and help them to find help. Encourage them to talk to someone. Um, someone might be talking that way. The 1-800-273-8255, that's the National Suicide Prevention Helpline, is a great place to begin to let someone start a conversation. Um to talk to if you're not a clinician, okay, you're a lay person and you're hearing someone talk like that, let's call this phone number and have you talk to someone who maybe might be able to give you more help. Right. Okay? Um, many people communicate that they will die by suicide and actually indeed take their lives, okay? Um, we need to be paying attention and taking it seriously. Uh, suicide is the most preventable death. And how that is, is by recognizing when someone might be struggling and listening to someone who is giving me clues and warnings. Right. 70% communicate their intentions to family and friends. We just have to be the detectives. Wow. Wow. Uh Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think something also gets overlooked in this dialogue occasionally is that there are a lot of people out there who think, well, I can talk them out of it. I can uh, help them along. But you're really not trained i mean you're you're good you're great as a friend but you're not necessarily trained to help convince someone out of uh, suicidal thoughts you really need to have professional counseling involved you really do and the thing is is that if i pay attention to someone's behavior if i pay attention to the signs of depression this is the biggest this is it right here this is the kicker nine out of ten suicides the person had depression mm-hmm it could have been in combination with substance use disorder, okay? But the bottom line is, is that suicide is the most preventable death, and how that is, is if people get more educated about what depression the illness is, okay? Right. Understanding that I can help someone, and this is two weeks or longer, a marked change in someone's behavior, anger, frustration, um, social withdrawal, breaking up a relationship, um, and then possibly talking about, you know, I'm worthless, 
Uh, my life isn't worth living. I mean, the sad part with kids is a lot of times that um, it's the inability to come up with a solution to a problem that they have. So believe me when I tell you that problems to kids okay, can be something like a breakup of a relationship. A problem could be I failed two classes. A problem could be I didn't make a sports team. Okay? You get it? Because mm-hmm. this stuff is big. And why it's big on top of it all is now you add in the social media, okay, where 24-7 I can get information about what everybody else is doing right. and what everybody else is accomplishing in their life. Okay, a broken relationship. Within 24 hours, I can know that my boyfriend, girlfriend is already dating someone else. Right. Okay? I mean, that's... That's what we need to be understanding now, is the complexity of the world has gotten so big. Mm-hmm. Okay? And to kids, these might seem like insurmountable problems that they have no solution how to cope with it. Right. And, of course, so, social media also gives people the opportunity to comment on people's relationships and situations. Sure, in a good way and in a bad way. Right. Okay? So, um, a lot of times, I mean... Picking up the phone, if you read something on social media about someone, picking up the phone and actually having a conversation, you know what, I had to call you because this is what I just read somewhere on social media, or this is what I saw posted, okay? Implement the N-I-C-E. Hey, what I noticed was that you posted this on Facebook. Do you need to talk to somebody about this? I'm worried about you. Okay, are you okay? Um, Do you want to go off for coffee? you want to have lunch? (laughs) <laughs> whatever. Right. Starting the conversation earlier and recognizing, yeah, some kids are resilient. Let's build resiliency to know that, you know what? I'm here for you. I, I want to help you right now get through this. Um, that's, what, that's what it's all about is helping kids get to that next step. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And seeing that there's so much beyond this. Right. I mean, how can suicide be the second leading cause of death? How? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're they're not noticing or they're not getting involved. Right. Mm-hmm. And when someone dies by suicide, it's not all of a sudden just like today I was fine, tomorrow I'm going to kill myself. It's noticing a change in someone's behavior for two weeks or longer. And it could be following uh, an event in their life. Right. Combination of several different events in their life, you know? There's a high rate of suicides within the springtime. It can have things to do with seasonal changes, mm-hmm. okay? But it also can happen with that whole change of life, especially for kids. Graduating from high school, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm leaving all these friends. Um, for kids, following injuries that take them out of the sport that they loved, I'm going to be a little bit more serious when I look at a kid that can't play football anymore. Was that the thing that brought him his popularity, his um, community, to be in the community of the school, was through that sport? I'm going to pay attention. Um, Kids after high school, you know, who might be struggling, and they haven't made those choices of what they want to do yet because we put so much pressure on kids. Oh, what are you going to go into? What are you going to do now? You graduated. Allowing them time to really debrief from 13 years of being in high school, Mm -hmm. 
and knowing that there are so many other people that feel that way too. You know, um, another great thing with kids is to make sure that they are around other optimistic people. You know, that bring hope, that bring encouragement. You know, because the whole thing is, is that that's might be the thing that's missing the most is hope. Right. Right. Now, um, studies have shown that kids who bully other children are often victims of some kind of abuse themselves, and they can also have a lifetime of uh, problems and uh, stresses and struggling. How do you get families to acknowledge that there are problems within the family, and what kind of counseling is available to help the families in these situations? Well, it depends on the community where you are, but there's a lot of resources on our webpage. Um, You can actually go to benice.org and click on resources in my community, put in your zip code, and I'll pop different resources. But I think um, one is the big acknowledgement. This is the hardest thing, is for a parent to acknowledge that their kid might be um, not, might be the bully, okay? So might be the person that picks on other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the hardest, is to acknowledge that in yourself, that your kid could be this. And that would be maybe talking to the school counselor initially, um, being proactive to say, you know what, we're going to be working on this more. I love the simplicity of notice how you're treating that child or that kid and how you're affecting how they're thinking, acting, and feeling. I just love the simplistic conversation of really being bringing it back to what it is. And you know what, he is sad and he walks away because of how he's being treated. Or he gets angry and wants to punch things because of the way he's getting treated. Let's bring it more down to really what it is, and that is that it has an effect on someone's mental health. I mean, I was bullied in high school okay, by someone who consistently wanted to beat me up. It caused a lot of fear, but nowadays... I could leave school and it was done. Mm. But now what happens is the social relational bullying is the thing that is having the most effect. So it can start in elementary school and then all of a sudden it gets into this drama, third, fourth, fifth grade, the gossiping, the rumor spreading, the alienation of kids gets carried into middle school and high school. And that's where you have kids struggling. I don't know where I fit. I don't know what people don't like about me, Mm. you know? Right. And it's sad because a lot of times um, kids that bully are also, you know, come from homes where, where there's bullying that happens anyway. You know, again, um, finding flaws in someone that I can just pick, pick, pick. And, you know, because you see some shy kids never get picked on. But kids that are struggling with um, possible social anxiety, okay, that's going to have an effect on them. Okay, so you've got a shy kid that's struggling with anxiety, like I don't fit in, and then you have just a a child who just is quiet, right? A child who just is kind of quiet, they don't have anything, you know, they're just quiet. That's just their personality makeup. Or somebody who doesn't know how to make friends and is quiet, they're going to be a target. And that's what people find. Right. Who gets bugged by how I treat them. Right. It's horrible. It's just horrible. But you know what? If teachers, as we educate more teachers and we educate parents, you know what? 
I'm going to sit back and I'm going to see that, you know what, my kid could be possibly picked on. They struggle in different ways. I'm going to make sure that my kid is in situations also where they feel comfortable about themselves, where they're around like kids. And maybe that's um, uh, not involving them in a sport that I really want them to be in, but instead maybe they want to be in an art class. Do you know what I mean? I mean, is that? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can go on and on. <laughs> Sometimes we set our kids up right. to be in situations. And in these little groups at the beginning, helps them to be part of the bigger groups as they get bigger. Right. You know, I like myself. I have high self-esteem. That's huge. Absolutely enormous mm-hmm. to have high self-esteem, to have socialization skills, to have skills that I can cope with situations. And those start by, let's not set my, set my child up. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Now, um, what about the belief, and this is very common among uh, us older folks, uh, the belief that you cannot help someone who doesn't want help or that people need to bottom out, as they say, before they can get any help for the problems like depression or substance abuse? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times there is that belief, but the biggest thing that people do need is help. Okay, help that there are things that can help. And as frustrating as it is for family members, because I've seen it, I've been working in mental health for 30 years, and when someone goes untreated, it is extremely frustrating. Um, Setting boundaries are the biggest thing, letting that person know that when I can talk to you is the best is when you're, um, you're not intoxicated, providing them consistent resources, um, Providing positivity when they are doing well, like wow, this is amazing when you're um, when when you come over and you're not intoxicated. Or geez, um, what I'm noticing right now is, gosh, everything you know, what is good and what is right, and reiterating, and then knowing that you know what, all of a sudden slipping and not taking their medicines or drinking again. Um, going back to inviting yourself to point out, I'm concerned, you know, and not saying, are you not taking your meds, or are you not taking your meds, but more what I'm observing, what I am noticing in their behavior that could bring me to want to bring up the subject matter again. Um, yeah, you know what, I can provide all these tools, and every day I can be saying that I help someone, I notice, I invited, I challenge the person to get help, and all of a sudden, and I gave them resources to go get help, and all of a sudden, they've died, okay? Maybe it's by an overdose, maybe it's suicide, but you know what? I followed this action plan, and I helped this person, and ultimately, they chose that. It could be spontaneously, seriously, impulsive, okay, but providing hope all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because there is. Um, You know, mental health, is one of the number one concerns of most counties throughout the United States. I'm going to tell you that. Um, I'm, I serve on two different community health improvement plans, and both plans have as one of their number one goals, they have three goals, mental illnesses, relating, mental health. And it's an old illness, you know, been around since dirt, seriously, emotions and how you think, act, feel. But research is new. And so now what we're finding is is that, you know, building resiliency in kids and having conversations earlier in lives about mental health disorders, 
will ultimately help in this whole um, very serious illness. Right. One big stat is, here's the biggie, 50% of mental health disorders come on by the age of 14 years old, 75% by the age of 24. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. What is that stat? That stat wouldn't have been, they, we wouldn't even have known that stat 20 years ago. That stat is the research. Right. So this illness has been around forever, and kids five years old can have depression. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to get educated. And as a parent or as a teacher or as a grandparent, I'm going to begin to listen to how serious it would be if somebody was really struggling later in life. Right. And if I can see the onset, right, for somebody's behavior changes when they're in, in middle school and high school and we're talking about this, we will end stigma. I truly believe the, the rate of suicides will decrease. I do. And that's probably hope, too, you know, for a great outcome here. Right, right. Well, you know, it's, um, it's like they say, the more you talk about something, the better the opportunity. I mean, there used to be that old expression from way back, you know, well, we just don't talk about that stuff. But it's proven, you know, that the more you talk about it, the more awareness there is about it, the better uh, opportunity is to uh, improve the situation. You got it. And um, at the Mental Health Foundation, which is the Be Nice is under that organization, we have been talking about it now um, 18 years. The mission has always been about education and awareness for mental health disorders. And I do totally feel that we have been part of bringing the message out into West Michigan and surrounding areas. I'm super proud of the work that we're doing. Um, we're not in the business of counseling. We're in the business of education, awareness, and connection, connecting people with resources. That's great. That's great, Christy. Now, um, the Be Nice campaign is something designed for communities and schools. How do people get involved with this, and how can they bring it to their communities or their schools? Well, what you do, go on to benice.org. Mm-hmm. And I would start by going right onto the home page and taking the pledge, and that is benice.org. And right at the home page, you can click on each letter. It'll take about 15 minutes, 15 minutes, nothing. Mm-hmm. Take the pledge, and then what you can do is go up to the um, education programs, click on what's going on with our programs, where you could sign up. There's different choices. And then to get involved, you can send us an email, and we'll get you more information. Um, The program is so compact that it can be initiated and implemented anywhere. So um, if somebody wanted to start the movement in a business, they can connect with us, and we can, you know, introduce you to how you do this. That's great. We have a lot of uh, our audiences uh, outside of Michigan and, of course, even outside the United States, and they can also come to the Be Nice campaign? Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, we're ready for this expansion, and that's what's been really great is um, we've just got uh, really great staff in place to help this initiative move outside of West Michigan and into other communities all over the United States. It's two simple words, but it's bigger than that. It's a way to change, improve, and save lives. 
My thanks again to Christy Buck of the Mental Health Foundation of West Michigan. We have links to the foundation and the Be Nice campaign on the page for this episode at specialparentsconfidential.com. Remember to please share this episode on all your favorite social media sites. And we have social media buttons that make it easy to do this on our website as well. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.